Thanks for tuning into the Glassy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora, and today we're joined by Nikeo Grico, the founder of Nikeo Beauty and Relevant and co-founder of 13 Loon. 13 Loon launched its partnership with JCPenney last year and is now opening its first physical store. Nikeo, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So you have a lot of news going on with your brands, but with our guests, we always like to first go back to the beginning. You've talked in other interviews about how you grew up in an academic family. So what first drew you to the beauty industry? Yes, I did. A very highly academic family, um, both on my mom and dad's side. But, you know, I was really first drawn to the beauty industry when I went to Kenya for the very first time. I got the chance to meet my grandmother, Nikeo, um, who I named my first brand after. Um, she was a Kenyan coffee farmer and taught me my first beauty secret using coffee beans and sugar cane from her farm to make an exfoliator. Um, and my grandfather, who passed away before I got the chance to know him, was a medicine man. So growing up in the States, my mom would always, you know, sort of use the practice of using oils to treat the hair and skin and ailments because that's what she had learned from her father um, who had the ability to, you know, go out in nature and extract oils to do those things. So um, I would say it's always been a part of me, but it was really less about um, calling it beauty and more about just using things that came from the earth to take care of ourselves. Um, and, you know, fast forward into my twenties and then I left my job working in Hollywood to go make coffee scrubs. So I guess it started pretty early on. And you launched Nikeo Beauty 20 years ago in 2002. Did you want to walk us through the beauty startup landscape during that time period and what the process was like for starting a brand then? Yes. I mean, when I started Nikeo 20 years ago, it was really amazing time to enter the beauty industry because we were really seeing independent brands um, taking off. Brands like Stila and Hard Candy, DL & Co. Um, people were really loving shopping for beauty within boutiques. And so, you know, I launched Nikeo Beauty at Fred Siegel and Jeffrey New York. And and so for that, I you know, the landscape was great for an independent beauty brand. Um, New York was still the place that all beauty was born, um, but LA was starting to see a surge of, of founder-driven brands um, happening here. And, you know, there was also just a lot I didn't know. You know, I, I knew very quickly that I couldn't, you know, I wasn't getting the opportunity to even much less, you know, get VC funds, even meet VCs, you know? So I knew I was going to have to go the friends and family route. And so I didn't, sort of spend a lot of time trying to get, you know, startup capital from, from institutional funds and, and went immediately the friends and family route, just so I was able to get to shelf quickly. And, and I do think that part of the landscape, especially for a startup is still similar today, that it is much harder for a startup to get institutional money to start a brand. And, and if you do have to fundraise much easier to go the angel or friends and family route. And Nikeo Beauty is described as a pioneer in the clean beauty space. Was that a concept then or what was going on with that? Yeah, I mean, clean beauty wasn't even, 
I don't even think we were using the term clean beauty uh, when I launched Nikeo. I mean, I called it natural and I didn't put things that weren't good for you in it. Like I, there was no, no real terminology in the business, you know, and it was so interesting because that was even a time that people just made the assumption that if you had, you know, a natural brand, that meant it wasn't efficacious, right? That it wasn't going to deliver on its results. So we have come a long way. Um, but Clean beauty, quote unquote, has never been a trend to me. It's always just been part of my DNA. And when you think about ingredients that come from, that really live in all the beauty products that we love, whether it be fragrance, hair, bath and body, skincare, even makeup, a lot of the ingredients that we use in the industry are cultivated from marginalized parts of the world that have for decades practiced certain rituals and and things that definitely did not involve, you know, preservatives that weren't great for you or, or, you know, synthetic artificial fragrances. And, and so, yeah, I didn't, you know, I, it's, it's an honor to hear that every time someone says that to me, but in my mind, I was like, well, why would I want to make something with a bunch of ingredients that aren't good for you? I'm just going to try to keep it as natural as possible and, and take it to shelf. And with your first brand launching in Fred Siegel, that was a time period before this D2C era and e-commerce era. How important was physical retail then compared to now for getting a brand visibility and recognition? Yes. I mean, at that point, you're, yeah. I mean, some brands didn't even have websites um, back in those days because it wasn't a way we weren't seeing it as a, as a big conversion point. You know, D2C really happened probably, you know, a decade or longer after I launched my original brand that people really started to, to focus on their D2C strategies. I would say it was everything. You know, there was no social media um, at this point in, in early 2002. So, you know, being at Shelf, um, connecting with your beauty consultants, you know, people in store that were there to sell your product, showing up and doing events. Everything was so, success was so dependent on IRL uh, moments um, for companies. And so, yeah, that was our only choice. I mean, it was it was really interesting time when we would see, it was also during, you know, that era that we started to see models get replaced um, by actors in beauty campaigns, on magazine covers. Like there was so much happening in those early, early 2000s. But yes, to your point, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember if I even had a website for Nikeo when I first launched. I think I did have a website, but I definitely did not have e-com on the site. I think it was more of just like a landing and information space for the brand. And that's obviously such a big shift from now where you have 13 Loon, which first launched as an e-tailer in yes. 2020. Did you want to just talk yes. through the process of coming up with the concept of 13 Loon and what inspired it? Sure. Yeah. So Nikeo um, Beauty was purchased by Unilever back in 2017. And in 2020, um, I was still working with the brand. And at that time, you know, we were in the midst of a global pandemic. We were all locked down at home for an indefinite period of time. But, you know, while felt globally here in the U.S., we were experiencing the greatest racial reckoning of our lifetime. 
And as a result of media, social media, the internet, you know, we all had um, a platform to to emote, to connect, to even in, and even I think being in the lockdown stage of COVID-19 at that point really allowed us to just sit and listen and, and observe. And a lot of what we were observing was horrific, but in the same breath for the first time in 18 years of having a brand, I was on every list, you know, top black owned to shop, to follow, et cetera, et cetera. And while it was lovely to have the attention for the brand, for Unilever to see their sales of Nikeo go up 400%, um, it was built on the precipice of, of a really heartbreaking time. And and sometimes I was on a list with 100 people, sometimes 500, one time 1,000. So I'm watching this and I'm seeing all these brands. And then I'm also seeing beautiful initiatives like the 15% pledge and pull up for change happening. But wondering, you know, why is it so hard to get to 10 brands, 13 brands, 15 Black-owned brands when I'm on a list of 1,000? And by the way, who are these people? Like, how did I not know that I had all of these amazing colleagues with these beautiful brands, with these rich founder stories? And so, you know, we had nothing but time on our hands. And so I would just sort of go down a rabbit hole and look at their Instagrams, connect with them on DM, tell them how beautiful I thought their brands were. And it would make me sad. Like so many of them had very few followers. Most of them were only D to C, no, no national distribution. And I thought how unfair that I, as a black female founder who yes, had had my fair share of challenges in those 18 years, but yet had also had the opportunity to learn so much by being in other portfolios and being acquired and giving up the brand and stopping and starting. Like who's going to give them a chance to even have those experiences of growing as a person and growing as a founder and growing their businesses and, you know, really truly scaling it to a place of success. And so I had long been sort of discussing with my co-founder, Patrick, and I, you know, something, what do we want to do? We were both ready for our second business in 2019. And then in June of 2020, after the death of George Floyd, I just thought, well, this is silly. We have to have a retailer that can actually flip this whole notion on its head. And if I were to open a store tomorrow, I would want 90% of my brands to be created by people of color who make products for everyone. Cause we still, sadly, we're having to debunk the myth that black and brown people only make products for ourselves, which is ridiculous. And we use products made by people who don't look like us every day. So yes, we, and we also have probably the most sensitive skin. And so if it works for us, it's going to work for everyone. Um, but you know, and, but it wasn't our fight to fight alone. So that's why 10% of our brands are created by ally brands or, or by ally founders. And we consider an ally brand to be a brand long before the racial reckoning was, committed to serving all in their formulas, in front of the camera, behind the camera, in their boardrooms. Um, and so we're very grateful for our ally partnerships as well. And what do you look for when you're selecting brands to be sold through 13 Loon? Hmm, what do we look for? Well, I say this a lot in interviews, but I do truly believe that people buy into people before they buy into products. Um, the beauty industry has a lot of product right now. I mean, it's 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 very saturated. And I think 
the brands that win in the long run are brands that have a level of authenticity, um, passion, and commitment from the founder at the forefront. And of course, they have to deliver on product. Um, you know, 13 Luna is a very sort of elevated premium feel, um, but it's also very inclusive from a pricing perspective as well. I mean, we have $14 products and $1,000 products, but, you know, we want all of the brands to sort of fall in that ethos. Um, but really it's, it's people first and amazing product. And how would you describe the target customer that you think of with 13 Loon? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, we had no idea because this has never been done before. This is the first of its kind, you know, truly, truly inclusive, you know, with a 90-10 rule. So we didn't really, we didn't know. And also 13 Loon, you know, in some ways we were lucky because we were born post the iOS update. So while everybody was flailing, trying to figure out where their customer acquisition had gone wrong, we were just trying to find a new customer and not so stressed about, you know, fighting the algorithms. Um, but I would say what has come to be in the 24 months since we launched is that our consumer base is really diverse. And I would say 50% of our consumer base are BIPOC and 50% are not, which is really um, a testament to the fact that People want to, A, make their beauty shopping more meaningful and B, are hungry to discover. You know, when you're bringing a lot of brands to our platform and now to shelf that people haven't ever heard of before, but you're creating a space where you welcome the discovery and you're leading with story first, we've found that that truly resonates both online and within our 13 Lunate JCPenney stores. Um, but I also think that you know, it's what's really interesting, you know, when we launch one of our larger ally brands on the platform, for instance, and not even just ally brands, even when we launch, you know, more well-known BIPOC brands on the site, you start to see this ripple effect. For instance, when we launched Olaplex, our hair sales for all the brands in hair went up that week, which just goes to show that the consumer, the guest was coming to our site to shop Olaplex because maybe they've been shopping Olaplex everywhere, but we're excited to discover and excited to make their beauty shopping more meaningful. So it really is a testament to the fact that you can build a highly profitable business and do well in the world at the same time. It's interesting that you mentioned the iOS changes because I've talked to so many brands that have said that they're really pushing more aggressively into physical retail because of these changes or possibly somewhat influenced by these changes. Were you always planning on going into physical retail? Yes. I mean, from day one, even though, you know, we were locked down, no stores were open. We uh, launched in December of 2020, but we knew with 100% certainty that this was going to be a fully omni-channel business. Um, and we did not expect to get a call 90 days after we launched from JCPenney, but yes, we had always known that, you know, we wanted this to be, um, fully omni and, and also global because at the end of the day, we're really telling a global beauty story. And so that was always on our radar. We just weren't, um, 
quite sure we would get there as quickly as we did, but, you know, so grateful that that's, that's what's happening. And you started the JCPenney rollout in 2021, replacing the Sephora locations. So is that completely done now? Are they all opened or where are you at with that? Yeah. So in 2021, uh, we opened 10 pilot doors and starting this fall, we've started the rollout. So I think we're about a third of the way there, but all 600 will be open um, by end of spring. What has that meant for 13 Loons growth? Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's been tremendous in, in so many ways. It's uh, not only from a business perspective, um, have we been able to, you know, grow and scale the business at rapid speed, but what it's done for, you know, our founders, some of whom, you know, as I mentioned, I found on these lists or, you know, had gotten to know in the process of developing 13 Loon that, you know, maybe we're, you know, doing just a few thousand in sales and had very few followers. Now these are some of the top performing brands within 13 Loon at JCPenney and, and it's truly changing their lives. Um, and to be there as a beauty founder to speak to them about how to best be prepared to be at shelf and, and, you know, helping them learn from my mistakes of what not to do. Um, it's, you know, it's something you can't even put a price tag on. So while yes, the business has scaled enormously, it's also just been such a gift to watch. Do you have any examples of lessons you've taught them? Um, <laughs> yes, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes for all of us. And I say to them all the time, listen, you're going to make your own mistakes and those are your opportunities to learn. But I think for me, the hardest, and it is for them as well, you know, was always access to capital. So even when I had capital from investors that you would assume have all the money in the world, I still, as a very niche brand, wasn't getting the support or the marketing dollars or the teams that I needed to win at shelf. And, you know, so one of the greatest lessons I think that they've learned from me is don't take dumb money <laughs> because it's going to cost you enormously. It'll cost you your brand. It'll cost you your integrity, your livelihood. So I think that's really important is just beware. You know, there are some really incredible, incredible, incredible investors. We have so many of them sitting on our cap table at 13 Loon. But I think back when I was young and coming up and trying to keep this brand alive, my first brand alive, I would just say yes to everything because I just wanted to keep going as opposed to, in some circumstances, not listening to my gut and and holding out for the right partner if you so need to raise money. Um, and I think also, you know, I love to innovate. I'm a beauty founder now twice. Um, but, you know, one thing I think I've learned from them um, is the hero drops, right? Uh, the single skew attention so that you can kind of focus your efforts and educate people. Um, I, that wasn't the case when we were coming up and, and I always say we, cause I have, you know, still people in my life from 21 years ago that, um, I keep in touch with that we all kind of launched around the same time. Uh, but you know, key learning, right. Most people aren't using the same, you know, product of every skew across the brand. So 
not only have I learned about, you know, the power of a hero drop, but also the power of making each product in your collection be a hero. So I've gotten to observe that and, and receive that data from them. Um, but as far as, you know, other things that I think that I've been able to help them learn from my mistakes is, you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, it's like trusting your gut around, especially around big decisions. Um, you know, for all of the no's that I got, um, it, many of the yeses I got were great. And some of the yeses that I got, I knew should have been no's. And so I, I just try to help them be really aware of that. And how do you approach your breakdown of larger brands versus startup early stage brands? It's really, I mean, everything is really broken up as 90-10. So we don't really, we don't, you know, really go and say, oh, we're not going to take this larger brand because we have, you know, too many larger brands. Like we will, we really want it to be a place of discovery. And so we like the uniqueness of the brands that we carry. Um, and so that's always prioritized, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business and we have to make sure that we're bringing products to the platform and to the store that are going to move and that people are going to love and deliver on their promises. And so it's really a balance of just amazing curation led by our VP of merchandising, Janelle Freeman. She has such an eye for beauty and she helped uh, Net-A-Porter launch their beauty business. So she's, you know, seasoned and understands and, but also because we're a multi-brand retailer, you know, how to curate, you know, we may have 10, 15, I don't know how many at this point, vitamin C serums, but they're all uniquely different from whether it be a price perspective and ingredient makeup, you know, some are male founded, some are female founded, some are BIPOC founded, some are ally founded. Um, and because we lead with people that makes them all different. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really a curation. It's a, you know, she is the, I always say that she's the leader of the, of the art gallery because she really does curate, um, so impeccably. And 13 Loon has received 3 million in funding from Fearless Fund. Did you want to talk more about what you take into consideration during the fundraising process and who you pitch to and what kinds of partnerships you're looking for? When we, Originally launched, we raised um, only friends and family, um, an angel uh, round of about a little over a million and a half. And that was the round where you would see, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow was one of our early stage investors, Sean Puffy Combs, Greg Renfro from Beauty Counter, Naomi Watts. So then we, after we launched, um, we decided to go um, and and start, you know, a, seed, a pre-seed round or seed round. And uh, that's where Fearless Fund led the round, but we have other um, institutions and, and funds on the, on the cap table as well. And, you know, for us, it's, it's, we're very strategic about who we invite to be a part of 13 Loon and who we partner and align with. Um, it was, you know, so important to me that we were able to really look at inclusion from every lens and Fearless Fund being you know, a fund that was started by Black women for Black women was really appealing to me as a lead. I think it, you know, not only do I absolutely adore Erin Simone and the team, it's really about, you know, yeah, I know when I was out raising when I was younger that there weren't 
faces that look like me sitting across the table writing checks. And I wanted to show next generation funds and next generation beauty founders that that this can happen. And, and so that was important. And then every single person that, you know, we've ever accepted um, money for or asked to join our family, it's it's been really strategic. I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me in certain ways and know more and know things that I don't so that I can learn from them. And many of our investors on our cap table really operate as advisors as well. So yeah, it's been, it's, that's been a beautiful curation and as well. And you're also opening your first standalone store for 13 Loon. So we're recording this in December, but the standalone store opening is planned for January, correct? So we're really excited about our flagship um, coming to LA early 2023. Yeah. What can you tell us about it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, from early days, we knew we wanted to expand the 13 Loon brand um, and spent a significant amount of time kind of figuring out where we wanted our, our flagship to be. And turns out it's in my neighborhood. Um, but the reason that we chose um, Larchmont Boulevard as the location is that, A, um, for those that don't know, Larchmont Boulevard is in the Hancock Park neighborhood of LA, and it's sort of our main street, and it's restaurants and shops and um, toy stores and ice cream shops. And it's it's historically um, been one of the most successful shopping districts um, in the United States. So the other thing that I loved, which at first was kind of a deterrent for me, was that, you know, oh my gosh, there's so many beauty stores on, on Larchmont. I mean, do they need another beauty store? But at the end of the day, I was had an aha moment. I'm like, oh wait, this is Beauty Row. This is the beauty destination in Los Angeles. And what we do at 13 Loon, you know, and I've said this to everybody working with us on the project, I don't want it to feel like another beauty store. I want it to feel like a place of community. And it will be very heavily evented. Um, lots of events from founders to experts. Um, some really cool concepts coming soon that will be announced that exist within the store. So I'm really excited and I can walk there too. And if you're not busy enough with 13 Loon, you also have your new skincare brand, Relevant, that came out yes. this year. So yes. now that you have your own retail channel, how do you approach retail with this brand? Yeah. So, you know, Relevant Your Skin Scene is a brand that I've incubated in to 13 Loon. But, you know, it was funny because when I created, co-created 13 Loon with Patrick, I had already started on ideas for another skincare brand. So it worked out perfectly that Relevant would be part of the 13 Loon family. And um, it's, for me, it's, uh, I often get emotional speaking about it because it's the first time that I've ever had. And as a beauty founder, the autonomy, the runway, the support, um, the access to the best of the best um, chemists, um, two of whom are black men who I socially distanced on Larchmont Boulevard um, during 2020 to create the brand. Um, but I, you know, it's, and being a retailer, it's also offered me a lot of um, data, you know, where can we still better serve a consumer that's been underserved for far too long. And so when I talk about, you know, access to the, the best chemists, it's, it is steeped in my 
DNA of clean beauty, bringing in some of those heritage ingredients that I know um, are powerful and give me that connection to my heritage, but also getting to do things like create a five acid toner. You know, I've spent much of my time as a consumer feeling left out at shelf. When I think about, I mean, I built my whole business on exfoliation, uh, my original one, but when I would go to shelf and I would pick up certain peels or oils or, or, you know, serums that knowing and having the knowledge that I do would turn over and look at the percentages and know immediately that this product was not meant for me or anybody with melanin rich skin, because it could cause hyperpigmentation and hypopigmentation. But like, why should we not be able to have acid peels and it be done at a safe level? So, so there's the intention that went into every product within the relevant your skin scene um, original collection is it's it's really just well thought out ways to make sure that everybody feels seen. And are there any similarities to launching a brand in 2022 compared to 2002, or is it just a totally different market? I mean, I think the similarities, and I'll speak of myself, the similarities for me is that I still, you know, it's, it reminds me of those early indie days um, of having my first brand, the excitement about putting something out there, the joy that you receive when somebody falls in love with one of the products or you win an award or, you know, it's after you were doing it for quite some time, like I was with my original brand, you know. I had lots of wins and so many happy moments. And then I also had a lot of challenges and really hurtful moments in that, with that business. And so this is sort of like a a fresh, amazing chance, but it's also like the grown up me as a beauty founder, you know, back in the day, much like many other founders, I had like imposter syndrome. I used to get in the early days, like uncomfortable when people called me a beauty founder, I would, I would play small. I would say things like, Oh, I, I, I just make coffee scrub. Um, but now I've had so much education, so much time. I've been in so many different places to really take advantage of the education that I'm getting. I have studied skin in a way that I never knew, right? Like I didn't realize how much I had learned over the last 21 years that it feels really good to go into creating this brand with such confidence. Also knowing that I'm going to be able to play in other categories with this brand that I've never gotten to play in before. And that has been such an amazing process, but all done from the lens of inclusion um, which you'll see coming soon. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's joyful. It's happy. You know, it was dark times when I started creating relevant. So it's super colorful and sort of an homage to my younger days of loving brands like Benetton and Esprit and dancing commercials from Gap that just like evoked joy. That's what I want relevant to do for, for our guests. And what are you thinking in terms of in-house brands overall at 13 Loon? Are you thinking of doing others in the future, focusing on this one? Yeah. So, you know, obviously very focused right now on Relevant and and all of the different SKUs that are coming um, in 2023 and different categories and building out that strategy and also figuring out what our global strategy will be with Relevant. Um, But I also am very 
uh, open to the ideas and having conversations around uh, various collaborations for 13 Loon. Um, maybe it's, you know, people who have wanted to play in beauty, but don't necessarily aren't set up to start a whole beauty company, but because of, you know, going back to the education, the resources, the labs, the packaging firms, the design firms, all of these wonderful um, treasured relationships that I've collected along my journey, I think that could be really fun. Because I really, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a creative at heart. You know, I, I love business and, and I'm so proud to be an entrepreneur, but I love to ideate and create. So, um, so yeah, I think that could be an interesting uh, next step as far as creation. And then I have a family member that will be launching her own brand as well coming soon. So um, having fun, just, you know, helping others shepherd their dreams. Yeah. What can you tell us for the coming year in terms of launches you have planned? Are you planning on doing more retail locations for 13 Loon? What can you tell us about product or brand launches? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, we have this 600 door rollout happening IRL. So that is a huge focus for myself and our team is to get these 13 Loon at JCPenney doors opened and and show up and meet people all over the country. That's what I've probably had the most fun doing over the last couple of months. Um, obviously, you know, growing relevant, getting our flagship open, um, and there will be some really cool brands coming into the flagship that you may not know um, already. Um, but you know, yet having another another chance of discovery, and then yes, you know, I think hyper focused on those items, but um, but also really starting to explore um, our opportunities globally and getting a lot of inbound from all over the world, which is amazing. Um, uh, both about relevant and thirteen loon from Dubai, from Korea, from India, from Australia, from Canada. So we're you know that team, our global team, is working. Um, hard to sort of figure out, you know, what our next best steps are. But I love it because from day one, Patrick and I have said, this is really a global beauty story. Yes, of course, we are, we are, you know, want to be a part of the healing and inspire others to be more inclusive and diverse here in our country. But, but this is a global, this is a global opportunity to, you know, beauty is, it's such a connector and, you know, that's one of the things that I really love when you look at sort of our, our, our world map of our founders. You know, I found out the other day because we're just always onboarding these incredible brands and I'm falling in love with these people and these products. I mean, I literally shop 13 then probably way too much. But, um, I um, realized that, you know, we have 22 Latin, Latinx, Hispanic brands at 13 <laughs> at 13 Loon. And we had the great pleasure of getting a map out and putting little stick pins and where all of our founders are. And it's all over the globe. And that just gives me such joy. I'm such a traveler. I, I, I just love it so much. So I think that opportunity to then carry those stories, discover other brands from other regions will be an amazing opportunity for 13 Loon as well. So what country are you thinking of first? Where do you think we'll see the first 13 Loon internationally? I don't know. I don't know. Of course, I want to go everywhere. 
and everywhere I'd like to visit, but, um, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, we're still vetting all of those opportunities, both for 13 Loon and as well for Relevant. And I think Relevant will come first um, as far as expanding globally. And what is your vision for standalone stores in the future? Do you see 13 Loon standalone stores all over the country? What are you planning? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're opening this flagship as sort of a test to sort of see, um, you know, how this model could work. Um, and yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, the great thing is we are, you know, 613 Loon store and stores at JCPenney nationwide, but I do think that there's um, an amazing chance for us to to tell that story um, of inclusion in many cities. So uh, yeah, we're vetting all of that as well. Well, we look forward to seeing what's to come this year, since this will be in 2023 when this is airing. But before we wrap up, I also wanted to make sure you had a chance to plug your own podcast because you are also a beauty podcaster. Ah, what can you tell yes. us about what's in store for the Beauty Vanguard? Yeah, so the Beauty Vanguard, um, co-hosted by myself and Melissa Magsaysa, um, the head of content at 13 Loon. Um, Melissa is a incredible journalist um, who's really been... Um, a pioneer in the beauty and fashion space. So it's so much fun doing this podcast um, with her. We've done two seasons of the Beauty Vanguard. So definitely check us out where you listen to your podcast and listen to some of our fun episodes. We, I think last season we had Tracy Ellis Ross, Allie Webb, you know, some real change makers in the beauty space. But the whole ethos of, of the Beauty Vanguard, much like 13 Loon, is where we go and it is a beauty. We talk about a lot of products. A lot, you know, it's definitely a beauty podcast, but, um, you know, whether it be founders, experts, um, people that are experts in health and wellness, authors, um, we love to talk about beauty, but, you know, we believe that beauty is is beyond skin deep. So we really do a deep dive in conversation with our guests to explore the beauty of inclusion. Um, so yeah, we're, we just started, um, filming episodes, filming and shooting and potting episodes, because now we're doing it with film, with all the things we have the grown up podcast now and, um, and we'll be announcing our new podcast home very soon and hoped to have episodes out by February. So stay tuned for our new beauty Vanguard news. Amazing. Well, we'll keep an ear out for that as well. And thank you you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be in conversation with you and love the podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.